Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. We are talking about Jesus, our example, and particularly the last couple of weeks we have talked about Jesus and the Pharisees. Now what we're going to talk about tonight is very, very important. We're going to review some of the stuff we talked about uh, the the last couple of weeks, and I hope that you will put your thinking caps on. I'm going to ask you some questions. It's so important that we understand the conflict that was taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees because he was bringing in some new concepts, actually some true concepts uh, that had been misunderstood, uh, and he, he's coming on the scene and he's teaching some things that just don't quite sound right uh, to the Pharisees, and we're going to look at the conflict, we're going to look at some of the things that they did. I was, it was 1976, I was God allowed me to be part of a church plant in Burlington, North Carolina. I was uh, uh, I wasn't married at the time, uh, but uh, I was I was going to school in Lynchburg, Virginia, and this church, which was about a hundred miles away in North Carolina, was planting a church, and they asked me to come as the youth as the youth pastor, and I was working on on weekends. So Friday at noon, uh, I would leave there, drive down to Burlington, took a couple of hours, Uh, then I would be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night after church, I would leave and go back. Uh, In starting that church, I was I was uh, remember I was born and raised here in Las Vegas, left here, went out there to Lynchburg, Virginia, found out about a whole new set of rules that I never heard about because out here we had no rules, and uh, went back to to North to to uh, Lynchburg. And I was, and man, I heard about all these new things, the things that Christians weren't supposed to do, and cr- things that Christians were supposed to do. And I it was just totally mind blowing to me. And then I went even further south, uh, and I got down into North Carolina. I helped him plant a church, and I'm supposed to be the example there. And uh, uh, because I'm a youth director, I'm part of the leadership team, and I don't know all the rules. I don't know all the rights and all the wrongs because every culture has different preferences. And so uh, uh, we, uh, uh, I. I was invited, I, 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 again, to be a youth pastor. I would drive down there on weekends. Well, I would take my, from time to time, I'd take my fiance with me, uh, Anna. She would drive down there. And, uh, and since we weren't married, of course, we didn't stay in the same place. But there was a, a, a family called the Wall family uh, who allowed us to stay. They had, uh, they had a, a trailer, a, a, a a big, very nice trailer, and then they had a side trailer. For the side trailer, they let me stay in, and I was in this little side trailer. When Anna came, she got to stay in the big house, and uh, so she stayed in the big house. I stayed in the in the trailer uh, next to him, and uh, and that that was the arrangements for sleeping. Well, we got there one day, and and uh, we'd get there on Saturday night, on and then Sunday morning, my wife, my fiance at the time, would get up. And because she just traveled down there, she'd iron her, she ironed her dress to get it ready for church the next morning. I did not know what an offense that was. Uh, I, I was approached by one of the deacon's wives. In fact, one of the deacons who told, was told by her wife about what Mrs. Wall had told her uh, uh, that had taken place that Sunday morning, that, my, that it, she could not believe what Anna was doing. And she didn't just do it one Sunday morning, she did it 
at least two Sunday mornings in a row. And she couldn't believe that she did that. And uh, so he's approaching me. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, do you know what she did this morning? I said, what's that? She got up on Sunday on the Sabbath. She got up on the Sabbath and she ironed her dress on the Sabbath. We could not believe that she would do that on Sunday. Doesn't she know any better than to, to, to do work on the Sabbath? And I thought, no, she doesn't, because I don't know. I did not know that it was a problem to iron a dress on Sunday morning. How many of you are at all associated with any Southern Christians from about 50 years ago and know that that is an offensive thing? Uh, I had no idea, but I found out it was. And, uh, and uh, so at, at that point, we decided probably not good for her uh, to iron dresses on Sunday morning. You say, why did you do that? Because of discretion and because of some things we're going to talk about tonight. We need to understand that we live in a, in a culturally diverse uh, nation right now, and it's getting more and more that way. Jesus entered into a very, very when he when he when he went to Jerusalem, he 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 went into a very uh, strict uh, Jewish uh, culture. But that Jewish culture was dominated by another not so strict Roman culture that was in control of what was going on, and. Uh, he came into that culture knowing that uh, knowing that some of the uh, some of, 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 quote, the law had been misused to put bondage on uh, on Jewish people, and he comes in as the Messiah and corrects some of that. And as he's correcting it, Eve is being opposed big time by the Pharisees. Now, they're coming to him in chapter 2, and they are, they are confronting him about things that they see that he that they perceive that he is permitting or that he is doing wrong. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so I just want to see. Uh, my first question is this. What are two issues that we've already addressed that, um, that, Jesus, uh, that Jesus is approached um, by the Pharisees about? Anybody? We've already addressed two issues. And it is quiet. Eating with the publicans and sinners. It's like it's as though I was going to go out with Ken. Uh, he's, 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 he has been he's criticized for eating with sinners, just being with sinners. And, and we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus' response to that was, Jesus, well, we'll see, we'll see what his response was, but what's the second, what's the second thing? Fasting. Why don't the disciples fast? Why don't your disciples fast? John's disciples fast. John the Baptist, his disciples fast. And the Pharisees' disciples fast. So why don't, why don't your disciples fast? So those were the two questions. So uh, why did Jesus say, number two, that he ate with sinners? Why did Jesus say that he ate with sinners? Give me an answer. Okay, 
All right, so that's why he came. He came to save the sinners. He didn't come to call. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, but, but to call sinners to repentance. That's what he said I came to do, to, to be with nothing but believers, to be with a bunch of righteous people, I wasn't fulfilling what he came to do. He came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He compares himself to a doctor. And he said doctors don't go to where people are well. They go to where people are sick. Now, the truth of the matter is the Pharisees were sick, but they didn't recognize the fact they were sick. They had problems. They, they, they were sinners, but they didn't recognize they were sinners. So, so Jesus wasn't dealing with them. He was dealing with the people who recognized their need of a Savior. So then, number three, why did Jesus say that his disciples did not fast. So he, Jesus came to be with sinners. We need to understand that. And we, we gave some cautions about that, that it's important that we be careful, that we can be sucked into sin, but we are here to go to reach lost sinners. We're not to, supposed to hide ourselves away. One time, several years ago, I'm talking maybe 25 or 30 years ago, my wife and I were camping in Colorado Mountains. And when we were up in the Colorado Mountains, we got way, way off in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the thick of the woods. In fact, I, we didn't even know where we were. But we stopped. There were a couple of campers around there, and we just spent the night. Uh, I was tired. We spent the night in the car. We got up the next morning, looked around, and we were just way, way off in some dirt road, and we started coming back. As we came back, we came up over the top of a mountain, and we looked off to the left-hand side, and there was this huge, um, this, this huge chain-link fence, and it went way down into the valley, and it went all, circled all the way around. I mean, it's huge, long, biggest chain-link fence I'd ever seen. And then we're, we're following this chain-link fence, and we get up to the top, and there is a sign, and it said, Town for Sale. There was, and you could look down in the valley, and you could see this town down there. The entire town was for sale. And I said to my wife, let's go back to Las Vegas. Let's get the people of Liberty Baptist Church and just move up here. This would be great. And this would be, if we could just all just live the way we want to, a little Christian commune up in the mountains. I mean, Doug, we could go hunting. Uh, we could just do our own thing. It would be wonderful. The problem is we're not called to do that. We're called to a world that's filled with sinners, and we're supposed to be amongst them so that we can reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be careful that we don't get sucked into the sin, and we're not supposed to live for the pleasure of their sin, but we are, we are supposed to uh, go out to where they are. The, sec- the third thing that we want to ask is, why did Jesus say that his disciples did not fast? Because uh, they, they said, hey, they don't fast. Why? What was the answer that he gave? Okay. Okay, he's still with them. He's still teaching them. The idea, very simply, is this. This was party time. Fasting comes when you're concerned about something, where there's something, there's a problem, and you are, you're, you're so burdened about it that you're not eating, you're, you're so burdened about it. And we gave several, last week, several illustrations. If you did not listen or, or didn't, weren't able to be here for last week's lesson, go on, on the internet and listen to it. We talked about fasting and the kind of fast that God, uh, that God will bless. Uh, he said, look, 
It's not time for them to fast. It's the, I'm, the, I'm the bridegroom, and they're the friends of the bride, and uh, fr- friends of the bridegroom, and we're having a party. Uh, we're, we're preparing for the wedding. This is a great time. This is not the time for fast for fasting. There are times to fast. There are times not to fast. Most Baptists never find the time to fast, and it's obvious by our waistline. But the fact of the matter is, there is a time. He said, "Look." He said, "The time is coming when the bridegroom." that was Jesus himself, would be taken away. And when, when he said, when, he's there, when I'm taken away, then they will fast. Uh, that will be a time of, of, of seeking God and, and, and begging God for things. Then they will fast. So it's okay. We, we need to fast, and we talked about that last week. So these were issues that, that the Pharisees had with, with Jesus. Now, Number four, look at your notes. In your notes it says, Jesus then, after he discusses this, Jesus discusses filling old wine bottles with new wine and using new clothes to patch, or new cloth to patch old clothes. So the question is, what's his point? Let's read that together in verse um, verse. 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Now, I'm not a seamstress at all, but we checked and Gina confirmed that that was true. She said that's not a good idea, and she's the, the, the resident seamstress here. No one takes a, a piece of new cloth and, and sews it onto an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old and the rent is made worse. The idea is the fabric has been used, it's stretched, but the new hasn't and it will rip. Uh, it'll rip away from the, the mend. And, and so the, the, rend, the, the, the rip in the garment is going to be worse. Then he says this, no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilt, and the bottles will be marred, but new wine must be put into new bottles. So in the midst of this discussion with the Pharisees, or in the midst of this this passage about Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus begins to talk about wine bottles and cloth and old cloth, and he's making a point here. And my question to you right now is, what's the point? Okay, Uh, Gina said, the seamstress, uh, she said, don't try to, to shove old rules into the new gospel, okay? Come on. I'm, I'm glad you're thinking. I'm listening. Yes. Weren't the old rules meant to support the new gospels? Okay, that's an interesting 
Uh, question. Weren't the old rules meant to support the new gospel? Anybody else? Pastor Neil. What's that? Just wear new clothes. Is that that's that's the solution? Just wear new clothes, okay? <laughs> Great. Great. Yes, Jessica. Okay, so the so. Okay, uh, Jessica said the 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 new the new piece of cloth is not going to match the old clothes. You're not going to be able to take this new these old rules and match them in with this new way of life. There's going to be a difference. That's interesting thinking. For those of you listening on the radio. It's just quiet here. You can think too. If you'd like to text in your answer, I won't or I won't answer it. But uh, you can do that. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. So the old. You said the old wine would be useless. The old clothes would be useless. And you, and. and What's new is, is, use, is useful. Yes, go ahead. Okay, so she's saying that so Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's all, he's all the same. Uh, the rules are... Are, are, what did you say? The rules are different? No, I, I think that the way it's the interpretation of those rules that, that was the basic problem. And I, I really believe that, that you're right on with that. The idea is that these, these, these rules that have come up that, that the Pharisees referred to as the law were the problems. Let me show you a, a couple of things. Number one, show those pictures of the of the, this is, this is when, when he's talking about ancient wine bottles, he's not talking about the same type of thing we're talking about. The idea of wine bottles were actually wine, uh, were actually called wine skins. Uh, it's just the translation uh, is bottles. The, they're wine skins, and what, the, what people would do in, in, the Old in the New Testament, Old and New Testament, is they would take uh, an animal skin, skin that, then sew it up, and they would take wine and they would place it inside of those wine skins. And as, those, as that wine would begin to ferment, it would bubble up inside. But because they were wine skins, they would stretch and they'd be able to hold the fermented wine and it wouldn't burst. But if you drain those out and then those, those wineskins sat around and, were, and, and got old, uh, then, then you tried to put more new wine into those old wineskins and, and tie them up. What would happen was those, the, 
the elasticity of, that, of those wineskins wasn't there anymore, and that, that fermentation process would begin and stretch them, and it would burst the bottles. You could not do that. It was ineffective. There's a picture of a lady uh, feeding her, her son out of a, of, of a, of a wineskin, just to, so that you'll know what that is. So the, the idea here that, that Jesus is saying is, uh, as, and, and you've gotten really, we've gotten very, very close to this, that you can't force new methods on old people. Uh, you can't force people to accept truth. And there's much conflict. And over the last 2,000 years in church, in church history, there's been time after time after time where a new generation of Christians has come up and said, listen, we want to do things a little differently, but you can't, you can't force, Jesus said, you can't force new methods on old people. He also, it also indicates this, that you can't force, and the idea is the same, you can't force new concept, concepts on those who are unteachable. And that was the basic problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees already knew what they knew, even though they really didn't know what they knew. They thought they knew what the, what the law said, but Jesus over and over said, don't you know the scriptures? Don't you know the scriptures? What they had memorized was their traditions that were taken from the scripture. And, they, and, and with that in mind, they had adapted their own man-made traditions and called those man-made traditions the scriptures. It, you can't force new concepts on those who are unteachable, that, that already know it. I've got it all. I already, I already know that. You begin to sit down and t- talk to somebody who thinks they already know it, and all you're going to do is wind up with an argument. I got a letter just a few days ago. I got a, uh, from, a, from a, a Jehovah Witness in, in L.A. He, he wrote to me personally, and he said, I want to ask you some questions. He said, because I'm dealing with a Baptist preacher here in California, and he said, uh, he said he's asking me questions, and not only is he asking me questions, other people are asking me questions about old concepts that Baptist preachers have. And I want to know if there's been a change in theology with Baptists in general. And he asked, and he sent a very, a very kind, very respectful letter. And he asked me about the concept of hell. He asked me about uh, the concept of eternal life. And I, I looked at that and I thought I could begin. I could take probably the next uh, couple of hours and 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 respond to his letter. I kept the letter because I might. I might take some time. But the, the, the problem is this. He already knows what he thinks he knows. He already has it down. And if I begin to share with him Scripture, he's going to refute that in his mind because he's already got it. He's unteachable. And that was the problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees had been mistaught, and they accepted their misconceptions as truth. And when Jesus, the truth, comes in and says, now listen, here is the truth, they're rejecting that. They hated sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Uh, They fasted to be seen of men. Jesus said it's not necessary to fast unless your heart is grieved, and here is a proper fast. They, they, uh, we'll see in just a minute, were, 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 were um, 
absolutely dead set on keeping the Sabbath as they saw it, as they saw it. and Jesus, it appears, he violates the Sabbath, and they're really having problems with that. So, I I I I I, I want you to see that's the the problem, and I want you to understand that we have that same problem in our culture today. We have that we we have that problem in our secular culture. Uh, there are people who say certain things are right and certain things are wrong in our secular culture. In fact, our culture has gotten to a point where it's saying the wrong things are right and you who teach the right things are wrong. So that it's wrong for you to tell a boy that he's only, uh, he's only allowed to, first of all, he has to grow up and then he should marry a girl. And that, that it's wrong for you to teach the men. It's wrong for you to teach a, a, a young man that he's a young man. Because he may not be a young man, he may be a young lady. And it, it's wrong to say to a young lady that you should be uh, a young lady because she might be a young man. Our culture is all mixed up. And, and, and here's the deal. When you teach the wrong, when you teach that, that, that what the Bible says, then you're teaching something wrong. So now the Pharisees are telling us that what we're teaching is wrong. You need to understand, oftentimes we, we, we reverse that and we say, we must be the Pharisees because we're saying certain things are right and certain things are wrong. We need to go back to the Bible. So, and, and that's not just true in the secular culture. It's true in the Christian culture. Uh, there are all sorts of examples of, uh, in this culture, of what people think are right and people think are wrong. There are, there are, there are things that divide people. There are certain, certain things that are brought into our culture uh, and, or brought into our lives and we say, hey, you can't do that, you can't do that, and it causes division within the church. So my question right now is this, and, and I want to get a list from you, and then I want to go through my list. What are some examples in this, in our culture, of things that divide people, uh, that, that even within, in, within the Christian community cause division with people, uh, like uh, within the church, within the local church, within, within churches across this country? Just give me some ideas. What are some ideas of things that you would say, hey, yeah, that, that, that people get divided over those things? Yes, go ahead, Doug. Yeah, it divides, divides churches from churches and people within churches from each other. But the, the example that I used earlier about my wife doing ironing on, on, on Sunday, and they thought, hey, that was the Sabbath, and you, you're not allowed to defile the Sabbath. Yes, go ahead, Ed. What's that? Alcohol. Okay, that's one I didn't think about. Alcohol. People, people, big debate today about whether or not Christians should drink. Uh, is it all right for Christians to drink? Is it wrong for Christians to drink? What does the Bible say about that? And there are some who would die for the fact that a Christian uh, is allowed to drink. And there are some who would die on the opposite end that would say Christians should never touch a, a, a drop of liquor. And uh, so I'm closer to the second than I am the first. Go, go ahead, Doug. Okay, versions of the Bible. Uh, people will fight big time over versions of the Bible. Uh, and uh, 
I mean, on both sides of the issue. Uh, we use the, and preach and teach out of the King James Version. And, and, and there are people who think that's ludicrous. And there are some people who think that's, that if you don't use the King James Bible, you're not really saved. I, had a, I have a, 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 a missionary friend in, um, in, down in Mexico who led a guy to the Lord out of the Spanish Bible, the Reina Valera Bible, from 1960. And, they, and uh, when another man went down there and began to witness to this guy, he said, oh, how did you get saved? He told him, I got, see, I got saved. He said, what Bible did you use? And he said, um, I, he said I got, this is the Bible, and it was the Reina Valera. And he said, uh, Valera, he said, he said oh, you're not really saved. You can't get saved out of that Bible because it's not from the King James. How sad that was. I mean, there's, I mean, big time fights over those things. So, uh, good. An- another thing. Pre-trib, post-trib. Okay. I have none of these on my list. Uh, so people fight over pre-trib, uh, post-trib, uh, whether, whether you believe Jesus is coming back before the tribulation, whether you believe that Jesus is coming back after the tribulation, or whether you, you think there's no tribulation. Um, so, yes, Ted. Music, oh, big time, fighting over music. Uh, you can tap your toe, but you can't swing your leg. Uh, the, uh, you can, uh, there's, there's fighting over there. Okay, next. That made my list, by the way. Go ahead. Oh, predestination, man. If you say that you're predestined, uh, then you must not really be saved. Uh, so, uh, unless you're predestined to be saved. So, uh, I mean, there's conflict over there. Yes, Jessica. Oh, yeah, man, political issues. I mean, right now, there's there, I'm, abortion, uh, which is a, actually a, a theological issue, uh, but, uh, but it's, made, it's been made into a political issue, and so if you talk about abortion or, or anything, the LGBTQ, the whole thing there, uh, man, that's, that's uh, a fighting thing. I mean, and, and, and I'm telling you, some, some churches, if you go into and you mention the name Trump, uh, they'll have a heart attack. And others, if you mention the name Biden, uh, you'll have a heart attack. And some of you are having heart attacks right now. But uh, uh, the, the, the uh, I mean, there's fighting over personalities. So go ahead, Doug. Okay, whether gays or women can preach. Uh, so, uh, and there's, that's, there's a battle. Uh, I, I listened to the testimony of uh, a man and a wife who are both pastors of the same church, uh, and uh, that was interesting today. Uh, so there's, there's a debate over that. Yes, Ben. Dress code, how you should or how you should not dress, uh, and what is proper in church and what isn't proper in church, and how, how you should look. Okay, go ahead. Anybody else? Yes. What's that? Responding to Christians, and you'd say getting divorced. Okay, so what's the policy on divorce and remarriage within the church? Yes, go ahead. Uh, critical race theory, yes. Uh, I have so many people come to, to Las Vegas, come to Liberty Baptist Church, and they'll say, man, They'll be in our services on Sunday morning, and they'll say, this is the most, uh, this is the most culturally diverse uh, uh, church I've ever been to in my life. Uh, and what they mean is we have people from every ethnic background in the world. Um, I had one guy walk in the back door one day, and he said, he said, I love this church because at that time we had a Filipino who led music. We had a Fijian guy who was back here uh, baptizing 
Uh, I'm um, uh, Lebanese in my background, uh, and uh, he just went on about, hey, I, got, I, I, I walked in here, uh, a Jewish man dropped me to the door, and, and he just went from <laughs> one thing to the next. Uh, uh, yeah, people, critical race theory can be a big uh, fighting thing. And it's amazing how the devil will just throw more and more things for Christians to fight about. Go ahead. Anybody else? Yes. Okay, so the whole transgender issue, whether or not uh, I was, is, it, it's a choice or if it's something that God intended. So there's all sorts of these things. So let's take a look at some of my list that I, that I, I came up with. And by the way, I, as I started this list, I was just going to list a bunch of things, and then I got to the very first thing and I thought, you know, people ask me about this all the time, uh, and, and, and it seems like a very simple thing, but I, I want to talk about this. Uh, number one, a dress. Uh, and uh, was it... Betty, you said that. Okay, so dress. Dress is a big issue for, for people uh, uh, about what should or shouldn't be worn, uh, what should or shouldn't um, uh, a preacher wear, what should or shouldn't uh, people wear when they go to church. Or uh, uh, we've, we've got, I travel now and I'm in churches that when I go there, they expect me in a suit and tie. There's other churches I go to and they, they say, please, just dress casually, because that's what everybody's going to do, and that, that could mean anything, you know, so I have to find out what casual means. Um, there, are, there are places where, where uh, ladies are allowed to, uh, are, are not allowed to wear uh, anything but dresses or skirts, and there's other times that the pastor's wife will come in blue jeans with holes in the knees. I think that's the funniest, I really do think that's the funniest uh, uh, fad I've ever seen. And, and I'm, I came from the 60s, I want you to understand. And, and I mean, the, the holes in, the, in these, and I'm, I kid my grandkids about that all the time. I say, listen, if your mom and dad won't do it, grandpa will buy you uh, some, some, if you can't afford them, I'll, I'll help you with that. But um, the other day, one of my grand boys came in and he had a rip in his, it, because he had ripped them, because he had ran and he ripped his pants. And I said, good, yeah, you're in fashion. And uh, it's nice. It's a money-saving device. I think maybe that's why it's popular. So anyway, uh, but there's all sorts of problems with, with this, uh, our fussing of overdress. So I thought I'd take time, and I may, I may only get through this, but let me share with you what I put down. And these are just my principles. These are just things that I thought, okay, so how do you determine how to dress or how, how not to dress. And so here's, here's what I, I did. I, number one, you need to understand principles. There's three things that we're going to talk about. Principles, preferences, and practice. Okay? And I want you to see these as extremes because it's very important that we understand that what one person thinks is right, another person thinks, wow, I'm just doing, I'm just doing this thing over here. Another person comes along and say, that's not, that's not right at all. Um, so here's, here's some principles from Bible principles. Number one, the principle of modesty. Modesty. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. That, that doesn't mean they're shameful. It just means they're humble with sobriety and not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly array. He's not saying that you can't wear jewelry or anything, but that you ought to dress modestly not to draw attention to yourself uh, and be careful about, about that. Then, 
the second principle in Scripture is, this, is the principle when it comes to dress of distinction. Uh, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, the Bible says, The woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination to the Lord. So God says, look, here's some, these are Bible principles. Uh, first of all, man or fe- male or female, you should dress modestly. You're not to dress to t- attract attention to your physical body. Number two, you should dress distinctively. A man should dress like a man, and a woman should dress like a woman. Number two, the th- or number three, the third principle is the principle of honor. The Bible says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Somebody said, why should I dress up to go to church? Well, I, you don't need to dress in a suit and a tie. You certainly don't need to dress up like you're going out for a fancy dinner. But certainly we should want to honor the Lord in how we come to his house. And I've heard people say, hey, we need to want honor the Lord. And then, uh, then number four, there's, there's the principle of discretion. In Titus chapter 2, uh, the older women are to teach younger women to, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers of home. The idea of discretion is knowing what is proper in one place and might not be proper in another place. I say to my kids, I said to my kids when they were growing up, is it okay for dad to wear pajamas? And certainly it's okay for, for dad to wear pajamas. I said, now to my same kids, is it all right for me to p- preach in pajamas? And they said, oh, dad, you don't go to church in pajamas. You wear pajamas at home. They knew that there were certain things that were proper at home and, and certain things that were uh, not proper uh, elsewhere, things that you could do at home you don't necessarily do at home. So discretion is, is something that we ought to consider when we dress. And then courtesy. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13 says, Wherefore, if, I, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. There are some people who to just believe that certain things are wrong, so why should I dress in such a way to offend them? Uh, my, my wife and I and my children for years have traveled to, and been involved in different ministries that, that certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. Uh, we, for years, were uh, uh, affiliated with a camp who believed that women should never wear pants. So when we went to, when we went to that camp, the, we just didn't. You say, is that hypocrisy? No, we taught our kids that we, we are... We are uh, we are honoring their preferences, and we're being courteous to them uh, to let them know that uh, we honor them and we, and we want to treat them well. We actually, this is so funny, uh, when, when uh, Charity, did, she gets everything is black and white to Charity, so we told Charity she was probably, I would say maybe six or eight years old, uh, probably about six, six years old, because Hope was just a baby. And so uh, we said, now listen, when we go to this camp, we don't wear pants. We don't wear pants. We don't wear pants. So that we got there, and we were in a camper van, big shell camper, and, uh, and uh, we spent the night in this little camper area on the campground. The next morning we got up, and Josh was always the first one to get up. And Joshua got up, uh, got dressed, and ran outside and was running all around this beautiful uh, pine camp and uh, Charity got up and looked outside, and she said, Mom, Mom, come here. And she, and she, like, like she's panicked, she said, Look, Joshua's out there, and he's in pants. And uh, so she got a little confused about that whole thing. Anyway, so, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, what's good, good for the goose is good for the gander. But the idea here is this, that there's, there's Bible principles. Now, 
with those principles, you've got to understand that there are, number two, preferences. People have preferences. Uh, and, and, and so we, we look at the principle and we say, okay, those are good principles, but people are going to interpret those things differently. For instance, uh, if you're Amish, uh, then th- this is modest. And this is what you will wear. In fact, that might be a little, there's some fringes around the edges of that apron. Uh, That might be a little bit liberal. Uh, We go back to Pennsylvania, and there's Amish all over Pennsylvania, and there's just a strict, very strict dress code. And if you're not dressed like that, then you are not modest. So their interpretation of modesty and distinction and honor and discretion and courtesy is going to be totally different. Uh, There's the Mennonite dress. Uh, you can dress like Little House on the Prairie. You say, don't, people don't dress that way. Yes, they do. I've got some really good friends, I'm telling you, that dress exactly like that. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that, again, their interpretation of these principles would be different than your interpretation of these principles. Do you understand that? Your thinking would be different. I, I uh, talked to a man who was a free Methodist, and he said, I had to get out of the free Methodist movement. And I said, well, why? He said, well, he said, I had one of the, uh, some elders from the free Methodist council come to our church. And he said, my wife, was, my wife was playing the piano. She always plays the piano. And while she was playing the piano, she was dressed somewhat like this, a little different, but somewhat like that. She, he said, while she was playing the piano, her elbows showed from, out, from underneath her sleeve. It, wasn't, it didn't go all the way down. It showed. And he said, they came up and said, you cannot do that as a, as, a, as a free Methodist pastor. And I said, what? I mean, I'm confused now. And, but he explained to me that that was like the rule. And this guy was the most, I mean, you walked in here. If he walked in here, you'd think that, man, I was just, he would think I'm liberal. And uh, uh, so, uh, but there, there, these are all preferences. Uh, um, there's the, there's the, the, uh, the suit and tie uh, that a, man, a man's got to, he's got to wear the suit and the tie. He's got to do that. There's people who, uh, who say, hey, you just need to wear uh, a skirt or a dress. That's what ladies are supposed to wear, and that's all they're supposed to wear. And then there are those who just say, hey, uh, I think pants are, are uh, and, and shorts. Uh, that, there's nothing wrong about that. There's uh, all of these. There, what I'm saying is this. You need to understand there's the principle, but that principle, those principles can be interpreted by different people with different preferences. And we need to be careful that we don't become pharisaical and look at people and say, hey, they don't do it like we do it, and therefore they're not right with God. In fact, what is sad is you can go on the internet and you can actually find people ripping other people apart because they don't do it exactly the way they do, on both extremes. You have people ripping apart the conservatives, and you have the conservatives ripping apart the the people who would be more progressive. And we need to understand uh, that this kind of thing takes place in our culture. So what's the practice? How do I practice this thing of modesty? Well, I think, number one, just properly covered. It doesn't matter. Uh, the idea is I just need to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's exposing parts of my body that would, be, would cause somebody else to hurt or stumble. Uh, I think it's very important that women uh, dress like feminine, that, 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 that we 
contrary to our culture, which says that a man can dress like a woman and a woman can dress like a man, the Bible tells us, no, it's, not, it's, it's an abomination. So a woman should dress feminine, a man should dress masculine, uh, whatever that happens to be, whether you're the Amish, the Mennonite, the suit and tie, the dress and shirts, or, the, or dress and skirts, the, the uh, pants and shorts, whatever the thing is. The, the, uh, and the idea, too, is if I want to honor the Lord, I don't have to dress like everybody else dresses, but I, I should be clean and neat in what I do because what I'm doing, wherever I go, I'm representing the Lord. And I want to make sure that I represent Him in a proper way. I, and then I, that number, number five, I think this is really, really important, is respectful. We need to be respectful of other people's uh, of other people's. Uh, preferences of other people's convictions of where other people how other people feel because we don't want to be the person that causes somebody else to stumble I want to get through the rest of these I, I just focus tonight on this because people ask me this all the time these are questions about, about uh, uh, the questions that I'm asked about where, what, where do you draw the lines? These, these are just very simple principles, and I hope that you understand preferences, and I hope that you understand practice. We, what we need to do is live a life where we're concerned about other people and not ourselves. Let me give you some other areas of conflict that we find within our culture. Number one, and this was mentioned, music. It was you, Ken, that mentioned music. So music, I mean, there's, there's fussing over instruments or no instruments. There are still churches today. In fact, when I go to that Mennonite church that I mentioned back in Pennsylvania, we've been invited as guests and I've gone in there. I made the mistake one time of going in a short sleeve shirt. And uh, man, I just, they let me in because like, I'm a mission project there. Uh, they, it's okay. We understand. He doesn't know uh, the things. And, and, and I, they they, they treated me okay, and that, oh, I, I said, I'm sorry, I forgot to, and they said, oh, oh, it's okay, we, we love you, and, and we know that you'll grow and, uh, one of these days and, uh, and, and overcome these things. Anyway, so, uh, uh, but when you go in there, they have absolutely no musical instruments, but man, when they sing, they harmonize, oh, and it's absolutely beautiful. I think it's so important that we understand this, that that every that people from every different background with every different musical taste that love the Lord are going to sing and make music to the Lord. That's what they're going to do. There are people. I've been in places that sing the traditional hymns. I've been in places that sing like this church that I'm t- talking about, this Mennonite church. They sing and they harmonize, and it's in an old wooden building, and it just echoes off there. If they sang for a half an hour, I would just love it. I like to get there for their, for their singing and just hear it. It's beautiful. It's totally different than ours. I love to come into ours and hear the music here and sing praises to the Lord. I've, I like to go to churches where they sing nothing but songs like we sang tonight, Victory in Jesus. Uh, and when people are singing from their heart, whether it's the old hymns, whether it's the contemporary songs, whether it's, whether it's without music, as long as it is honoring to the Lord. People argue about whether or not music should be loud, soft, whether we should sing hymns or spiritual songs. The truth of the matter is there's fussing over those kind of things. There are people who, who fuss over the shape of the church building. 
uh, that it's not, that doesn't, that is not the way a church should be. There are people who fight over the use of screens or media in the church. Uh, that you shouldn't do that because that's, that's not trusting God and believing God. Uh, there's, there's, there was a time, I can remember this, when, when we looked forward to the day that our church would actually have pews. We would be a real church because we had pews. And then, about 15 years ago, uh, Matt looked over to me. We're sitting right down here in a pew, and I was so happy we had pews. And he said, Dad, we've got to get rid of these pews. And I said, what? What are you talking about? This is a church. And uh, we talked about the fact, you know, uh, that this, this, this auditorium would be so much more versatile if we had chairs. And we've been able to use this auditorium in so many different ways uh, because of the fact that we have chairs instead of pews. But people fight over chairs or pews. They fight over whether or not you should use a sound system. You say, really? Yeah, they do. Uh, the, uh, or changing the color of the carpet. There's a church that I know in Texas right now that's having a battle because there's, there, were, there was things that were put in that church by the, by the founders of that church, and they just don't want them taken out. I had a guy uh, who every, every week would comment on the American flag. I'm glad that you have that American flag there. And if it was down for some reason, we had some program and it was down, he would come and say, what, have you become communist? Uh, or, you know, what's the deal? I mean, he was, he, now this was a real wonderful guy who, was, who had been an admiral in the, in the U, U.S. Army or Air, Air, whatever, Navy. And, uh, and uh, it was just, it was, he loved the fact that we honored America. And when that flag was not right where it was supposed to be, man, he was, he was on that. Uh, there's, there's a fussing over other things, movies, entertainment. Uh, people fuss about these things. I want you to read with me the, the conclusion of this, of this thing. It's on the um, bottom of, that, of your notes. It says, be careful not to let this happen to you. This has happened throughout church history. A new generation of believers comes on the scene and rejects some of the traditional methods of worship. There's a tendency, and I think this is, so, this is so important, there's a tendency with some believers to equate the method of outreach with the message. And then this will be on the screen. When a method is changed, it's easy to accuse the one changing methods of changing the message. The important thing is that we don't change the message. And what Jesus was focusing on was the message and not the method and that was driving the pharisees crazy now point number six is is what we're going to start with next week uh it's really important we're going to talk about uh, why the sabbath was so important to jewish leaders and we'll see why they had such a conflict with jesus and we'll see what jesus said about the sabbath let's pray father i thank you for the opportunity of teaching tonight, I pray, Father, as we have taken time to think, I pray that we will think through these things. I thank you for the illustration you give us of wineskins breaking. Help us not to be so stiff and starch that we can't take in the new wine so we can't have the revival that you want us to have. Help us to be open and receptive to the truth that's in your word. Help us to take your word and apply it to our lives. And Father, help us not to be pharisaical, 
Father, if there's someone here that's not saved, I pray for their salvation right now, and I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.